I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and as you are turning there, um, some of you uh, may be new with us, or maybe just have been gone for a while, and maybe you have not turned on social media whatsoever, and you don't realize this, but a couple Sundays ago, we made a pretty big announcement, and we made an announcement that uh, God had finally uh, shown us a place that we believe that God would want to be the permanent home for this church, and we put that under contract, and, and we've had vision meetings now, two vision meetings this past week, last Sunday night in that building, you see those pictures on the screen, and then Tuesday night, supposed to be Monday night, but I'm learning that the weather here is just absolutely nuts, and so Monday night we had snow, Tuesday night was a beautiful day, so we moved that to Tuesday night and had vision meetings the past two, uh, this past week in that facility, and uh, just so, so excited that God has given us this opportunity to go after a permanent facility after 14 years of meeting in this school. So Vertical Church Spartanburg, I sure hope God does not have that for you. We're praying does not, God does not have that for you. But God chose to have that for this church, and we believe that this is an opportunity that God has so sovereignly and graciously put in front of us. If you were not at the vision meetings, and I know some of you were, and I've talked to people at the 9 a.m., talked to some of you at the 11 a.m., we laid out some specific financial details in regards to this facility, and so I want to lay them out before you. If you didn't pass by that table already, there's a table out there. You see a screen with pictures looping. There's boards there of how that building is going to be laid out. There's a front and back sheet that gives you all the details, financial details, frequently asked questions about all that. I encourage you to grab that at the table before you leave. We'll have one of our elders there to answer any questions that you have. But we laid out a goal of what we need to acquire this facility and move into this facility. And that goal is $600,000. And so our budget, we also laid out our budget for this year is $870,000. And so part of that budget is the monthly expenses for this building that's rolled into that budget and so I don't know if you do the math but $600,000 is sure a lot of money to me and I'm sure it's a lot of money to you and what that means is is we lay that out and people understand that we need every person to participate and financially sacrifice so that goal can be met and so March 25th which is next week we'll be bringing in our commitment cards that were handed out um, last uh, at those vision meetings and if you didn't grab one I think we handed one out to everybody who came in the doors this morning and if you already have one then that's great but we, w- we didn't want to miss anybody and so next Sunday we have the opportunity of bringing the car that we have prayed over asking God what do you want my, me to f- sacrificially give to this and we will have a special time in our services where we'll be bringing those and, and laying those before God, knowing that God has called us to a certain amount that's on this card and may not even be on this card. And we're excited to see what God is going to do. Then May 20th, we're actually going to have our services in the Arts Council building. And May 20th is another important date because that's when we're actually going to bring the money that we committed to next Sunday. And that's going to be a special, special time and then June 1st Lord willing is when we close on that building and so the timeline is is that when we kick off ministry launch weekend on September 9th of this year that we will be in that building so that's a pretty quick timeline and that's an exciting exciting things that we'll be able to kick off the new ministry year meeting in that permanent facility and so excited to see what God's going to do in and through you and through me and through this church as we embrace, not waste, this opportunity that God has put before us. 
And that's really why we've entitled and be walk, been walking through this series and why we've entitled this giving initiative so much more. Because I've stressed to you already and I stressed at the vision meetings that this is so much more than about a building. That this is about what God wants to do in and through you and allowing you and allowing me to experience so much more of who God is. To experience so much more of his glory as I embrace this opportunity as my own. To experience so much more spiritual growth in my life as I have my faith stretched by participating in this opportunity. And we're going to look at that idea of more growth today. About growing in my understanding of what generosity looks like and how I can never outgive God. And to grow in that aspect of my walk with the Lord and my understanding of who He is. And so I want to invite you to turn, you're already there. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to walk through verses 1 through 10, but the title of this message this morning, if you're taking notes, is just simply this, more growth. More growth. And so you should be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and here's what I want us to do. I want us to read the first three words out loud together. You guys good with that? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Let's read those first three words of verse 1 together. Here we go. For we know. Now those three words are extremely significant to what we're going to look at today. Because here's what I want you to understand today. It's this idea that we experience so much more spiritual growth when we move from knowing to growing in our walk with Jesus. That when we move from Knowing to growing, we experience so much more of the growth that God desires for us in our walk with the Lord. Because here's the reality. There's this misnomer, and I've encountered it many times, and I even get tripped up into believing it sometimes. There's this misnomer in our thinking that as followers of Jesus Christ, knowing equals growing. And we trick ourselves into thinking that. That if I know more about the Bible, then the byproduct of that is that I'm going to be growing more in my walk with Him. But the reality is, and what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture today, is that knowing does not necessarily equal growing. Now listen, I need to know about the Bible in order to grow in my walk with the Lord, but knowing does not automatically equal growing. Some of you are like, well, I'm still not convinced, so let me just give you a practical illustration. So, I like to golf, and you ever get one of those magazine, like, camp uh, subscriptions, and they're like, hey, if you spend two bucks, you get 12 subscriptions of a magazine that normally costs five or six dollars a piece, and you're like, dude, sign me up. And so, I signed up for that, and you ever find, this is a side note, you ever find how those magazines just never stop coming I don't know how that works, even after you cancel them. But nonetheless, I remember one time I, I subscribed to Golf Magazine. And I remember reading that magazine from cover to cover. And every once in a while I like to like, watch golf, depending on who's playing and who's in, the, in contention. And I'll watch golf. And here's what I found. No matter how many magazines I read, and no matter how much golf I watched... It did not automatically translate to me playing better on the course. Anybody else like that in here? 
How many of you love March Madness? Like we're in North Carolina, like big basketball. How many of you love March Madness? Raise your hand. Here's, here's, here's what I've also found out. Then I could watch every game of the tournament. Every game. Every single game. Every quarter of every game. And I can go out to my front yard. And watching every game does not equate whether or not I'm going to be able to make more baskets in the basketball goal. Does not automatically equate that I'm going to be able to dribble better or to pass better or to play better. Perfect, another perfect example, if you're not a sports person, nobody I know of would ever say, hey, I'm willing to be operated on by a doctor who never had a residency. Well, they went to four years of and they're pre-med, and they, they got straight A's, and they got accepted into an amazing university to further on their education, but they didn't have a residency. What well, you would not let them touch you, let alone see you. Why? Because they never applied what they knew. And the same is true in our walk with the Lord. Now, I've given you all the logic and all the arguments, but I want you to see from God's word why that's the case. So James 1, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to flip over to James 1, not too far over in your Bibles. And James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So what's he saying? Don't just know about the Bible, but do it. Apply it. Don't be hearers only deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. Now here's what James is doing. He's assuming that when you looked in the mirror this morning, that when you looked in the mirror, you said, that person needs some work. He's assuming that. Whether that's brush your teeth, whether that's wash your face, whether that's put on some makeup, comb your hair, whatever it is, every single one of us, and I'm assuming this is the case because you guys all look pretty good today, you looked in the mirror and you said this morning, I need to do some work. And Paul and James gives this analogy and says, anyone who knows about the Bible but doesn't do anything with it in applying it to their life is just like the person who looks in the mirror this morning and deceives themselves into thinking that they don't need some help. That's the idea. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's God's word, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Here's the equation that I want you to get if you want to, for you math people in the room. Knowing plus applying equals growing. Knowing plus applying equals growing. And so what I want to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is just give you five indicators of how you can know you're moving from knowing to growing in your relationship with Jesus. Because I think it's important for all of us to ask, man, Am I just someone who knows about the Bible and, and attends more and more? I, I mean, I'm tricked into thinking, man, I need another Bible study. I need another Bible study. And I need to go to another Bible study. And let me just fill up my week with Bible studies. And then I'll watch 
other guys on YouTube, and I'll listen to things on the radio, and I got five podcasts that I listen to, and I'll just fill my brain with more knowledge, and I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with that, but if all I'm doing is filling my head with knowledge and not applying it to my life, it does not equal growing. So what are five indicators from this passage of Scripture how we can know we're moving from knowing to growing in our relationship with Jesus? The first one's found in verse 1. We read the first three words. How about we read the rest of the verse? Look at what it says in verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Here's the first indicator. Number one, I am aiming for more than this world offers. How do I know I'm moving from knowing to growing in my walk with Jesus? I mean, I'm, I'm seeing in my life that, that my aim is moving constantly more away from what this world has to offer. That I'm seeing more and more and growing more and more in my understanding that my significance and my, my uh, self-worth and my satisfaction is not tied up in the here and now. My aim in life, my goal in life is for something so much more, so much greater. And here's what Paul is stressing in this verse, is this life is not our heaven. Some of you are going through some extremely difficult times. Some of you have lost a loved one. Some of you may have cancer in this room. Some of you are walking through a very dark time, and you are ever so reminded in this dark time, you don't need me to tell you that this life is not your heaven. For the others of us in this room that do need that reminder. That this life is not our heaven. This body, what Paul is saying, is not God's best. And for probably about 90% of us, we need to be saying amen right now. This body is not God's best for me. Here's what else this idea is. These possessions that I have are not my end game. The things that God has entrusted to me, this is not all life is about. And what I find so interesting is Paul uses this analogy to get across this idea of a tent. Now help me out here. It's time for you to participate. What was Paul's occupation as he was planting churches around the known world at that time? What did Paul do? Anybody? Yeah, he was a tent maker. And I think it's so interesting that Paul, who was a tent maker, uses an analogy of a tent to get across the idea of that this life is not a destination, but it's a journey. It's a journey. How many of you like to camp? Raise your hand. Okay, not as many as the 9 a.m. And I like to camp. My lovely wife does not like to camp. Not at all. She did lots of it growing up, and she's done with it. But here's what I mean by, when I think of tent and camping, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean the, the Class A 50-foot RV motorhome. It's not camping. Are you amazed at these things, the way they look like inside? Like, like I was researching some of these when I was thinking about the tent analogy that Paul uses. Some of these cost more than my house. This is not camping. Paul uses the analogy of a tent to get across the idea so that we can have this visual. This is what we need to think of when we think of our life. 
not in a sadistic or depressing way, but in the shortness of it. How it's not permanent. How it's a journey, not a destination. And I don't care how much you like to camp, there always hits a point where you're longing for a real bed. Where you're longing for a real shower. Where you're longing to go to your house and go to a food that, or a pantry that's filled with food and you're no longer eating whatever you brought in your little bag. You're longing to be able to go to your stove and just turn the knob and the flame appears. Like we all hit a point like that. I don't care how much we like camping. And Paul gives the analogy of a tent to get across the idea that, listen, we so often want to be sidetracked into looking at this life as this is everything, rather than looking at this life as a tent, as, as, as something that's not permanent, but something that has a short lifespan. Because every one of us Every one of us are followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's true of you as well. There's going to come a day where the tent pegs are going to be pulled up and our life is done. And what Paul is stressing in this verse is he's talking to this church at Corinth. He's like, guys, you already know this. I'm not giving you any new information, so let me remind you of what you already know so you can be applying it to your life, so you can be growing more in your walk with Jesus. And let's remind ourselves that my aim in life needs to be for something so much more than what this world offers. Here's the second thing. Look at verses 2 through 4. He continues, and he He's continuing with this analogy of a tent, and he says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. And what Paul is doing there is he's emphasizing the reality that when we pass from this life to the next, there's not this state of purgatory. There's not this state where um, I'm like some ghost floating around and hopefully I can earn my way to actually be in God's presence. But it's the idea that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't have to worry that when I pass from this life to the next, to use Paul terms, I'm going to be naked. So what he's referring to, verse 4, he says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. I mean, Paul's honest over and over and over again about how he's had to suffer for the sake of Christ and the calling that he's placed in his life. And here he emphasizes it again. He says, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further closed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. And so what Paul is doing is is he's saying the reason, my motivation for not being overcome and not being depressed to the point of wanting to quit in this life, even though I encounter burdens, even though I encounter circumstances that are pressing and painful, even though I'm encountering trials and opposition, the reason why I don't quit is because I know that there's something else that's better than this life and it's going to be worth it all. That's what Paul is emphasizing. Which leads me to the second indicator. Here it is. Not only do I know I'm moving from knowing to growing in my relationship with Jesus when I aim for more than what this world has to offer, but number two, I'm embracing hardship as part of life's process. And we've spent a lot of time on this subject as we've walked through the story of Joseph in our series, Many Colors of God's Faithfulness. So I'm not going to spent a lot of time on this point, but it's interesting that that word groan that we find in verses two through four 
doesn't imply despair or hopelessness or agony, but it actually has the idea of a hopeful longing. Like, not groaning in that I'm depressed and I'm beat down, but a groaning on, oh, and I can't wait to be in God's presence one day. Do you see what Paul is even doing in this passage of Scripture? It's what we've talked about in our series of Many Colors of God's Faithfulness. He's taking his emotions and he's filtering them through God's promises. And he's embracing the fact that there are going to be times when the pain of the process is great. And there's going to be times where he's embracing that and saying, Lord, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not praying for more to be heaped on me. But God, when, when you allow me to go through something, God, I'm going to embrace it knowing that you're doing something in me that's so much greater than myself, that you're growing me, that you're stretching me, that you're refining me. And so in the midst of the pain of the process, let me filter my emotions through your promises so I can experience more of your presence, so I can have the perspective that you desire me to have, that my life is so much more than about me. Listen to me, you know you're moving from knowing to growing. When you're beginning to see the pain of the process on whatever that is, as not get taking God by surprise, but that God is actually going to use that in your life for the good, Romans 8, 28. Here's the third thing. Look at, verses, look at verse 5. Paul continues and he says, who has prepared us, who, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. What's the very thing? Everything that Paul's been talking about. A heavenly home. God's presence. God's promises. And knowing that this world is not everything that there is. That this is not my heaven. That this isn't God's best for me. Whether that's I'm experiencing good or whether I'm experiencing difficult. But who's prepared me for this very thing. Who has a home for me in heaven. A new body for me in heaven. A hope for me in heaven. Who's prepared this very thing? It's God. But then look. What's my assurance? It says who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Here's a third indicator on how I can know I'm moving from knowing to growing in my walk with Jesus. Here's the third thing. I'm realizing the need for the Spirit's ongoing work. Here's what I find so interesting. That as I'm growing in my walk with Jesus, and how do I do that? I take what I know, I'm applying it to my life, and that's the way that I grow. And as I'm growing, you know what's so interesting? I don't become more independent from God but I actually become more dependent. See, when I'm not growing in my walk with the Lord, I become more independent from God. God, I can do this on my own. God, I got this. God, my talents and my abilities, I can accomplish this. See, that's the result when I'm not applying what I know. But when I'm actually applying what I know and I'm seeing growth in my life, my dependence on the Lord and the Holy Spirit's power in my life becomes more and more. 
So now when I face every day, I don't walk out of those doors thinking in my mind, I can do this on my own. No, I'm saying to myself, man, i got to be in God's word. i got to ask the Lord to help me today with whatever I'm going through because I understand I can't do it on my own. I understand I can't love my wife the way that the Lord wants me to love her on my own. So I understand I need the Holy Spirit's strength in that. I understand I can't love my husband the way that I need to. I understand I can't be a mom or a dad to my kids the way that God desires me to on my own. So I see a more and more a need for me to have the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in my life. And we can apply that to every area of life that we're experiencing. Because I understand, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit's been given to me, yes, as a sign that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and as a sign that I have hope of heaven one day when I pass from this life to the next. But I also have the Holy Spirit to give me the strength and the power to live this life for him and to grow in my walk with the Lord. I'm about to make a statement that's going to probably shock some of you. So here it is. I believe often what we need most is not more Bible. Like some of you, you don't need more Bible. A lot of times in my life, I don't need more Bible. I need more Holy Spirit. I need more Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. I don't need another Bible study. I don't need another podcast. Not that any of those things are bad and that we shouldn't be growing in our knowledge of God's word. But once again, I emphasize that because some of us, we don't need more Bible. What we need to do is apply the Bible that we already know to our life and submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. And let's not trick ourselves into thinking that another Bible study and another Bible study and another Bible study and another Bible study is somehow by osmosis going to change me. I change when I submit myself to what I do know in God's word and say, Lord, where do I need to apply what I know to the areas of my life that I'm holding on to away from you? How do I apply that to my life? Lord, I need you. That's how we grow. Let me just give you how the Holy Spirit works in me. Let me give you five things. Number one is reading God's word. It is getting in God's word. Once again, my point is it doesn't stop there. We handed out these journals last week in this bookmark that has our reading plan of what we're encouraging every person who calls this place their home to walk through during this time as we're praying and asking God, God, how do you want me to participate financially in this giving initiative? And we gave you this journal so that as you're reading through God's word that you had a place where you could actually write down what God was showing you. And at the bottom of that bookmark, you can pull it out if you have it, you notice there's three icons there. There's an exclamation point, there's a question mark, and there's a hashtag. And we do this in our youth and teaching our teenagers how to read the Bible. We've done this in our, in our women's event that we just had a few weeks ago. We're going to do this with the guys when we gather together. And here's what those three things represent, and I believe it falls into how do we see the Holy Spirit work in our lives. We get into God's Word, but then that exclamation point, here's what that means. We're asking ourselves this, what is standing out to me from the Word that I'm reading? Like, as I'm reading God's word, let me ask myself, what is jumping out at me off the page? It's like, holy cow, like, God is, 
allowing me to see that, and that's sticking out to me as I'm reading. Here's the next thing I do. That's what the que- this is what the question mark symbolizes. So I'm reading God's word. I'm actually asking, man, what questions do I have that I may not understand, that I may need to ask somebody about, or I may need to, to get into, maybe l- get a study Bible and look at what that is, or call up my life group leader, or call up someone that I trust and respect. And here's the third thing, the hashtag That when I'm reading God's word, not only am I saying what's jumping out to the text or what questions do I may have, but I'm also asking myself, God, what's the takeaway from what I read? Like I'm reading and started, just finished up more glory, and maybe this morning you're like, I read John 15, 1 through 8, and what did I write down that stuck out to me? And what's the hashtag, what's the thing that God wants me to do in applying it to my life? That's simple ways that we see the Holy Spirit work in our life. And then when we're done, you know what we do? We pray. And we ask for the Holy Spirit's power to work in and through us so that we can apply what God showed us in his word. Knowing is not equal to growing. But knowing plus applying does equal growing. Here's the fourth thing, and it's found in verses 6 and 7. Look at what it says. It says, Paul says, so we are always of good courage we know there's that phrase again here's what we know so we know it let's apply it so we can grow we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the lord for we walk by faith and not by sight listen to me every one of us need to believe in this room this morning that god desires for you to experience so much more growth in your walk with Jesus. Do you believe that? That that's God's desire for you? And I believe one of the greatest ways that we experience so much more growth in our walk with Jesus is when our faith is stretched. When it's stretched. And I don't see anywhere in God's word, and we see it again in verse 7 when it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight, that a follower of Christ can grow without their faith being stretched. And the motivation for me to trust God to stretch my faith is what we see in verse 6 when he says, here's what we know. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, that we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ has saved us and given us a future that's secure in the heavens and the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. So we have trust that the God who loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to save us is the same God that we can trust to stretch our faith. Makes me think of Peter walking on water. Remember that story in Matthew chapter 14? And Jesus is walking on water, and Peter, right, the ambitious person that he is, is like, Jesus, I want to walk on water. And so Jesus invites him to step out of the boat, and Peter steps out of the boat, and he begins walking on water. The only human recorded to do that without water skis, to our knowledge, that's ever existed. And what causes, just say it out loud, what causes Peter to sink? Say it. Yeah, took his eyes off of Jesus. And when I was reading verse 7, even this week, I thought of that story. That immediately when Peter stopped walking by faith and started walking by his sight, that's when he sank. And what we need to understand this morning is this fifth indicator of how do we know we're moving from knowing to growing. Here's, Here's the fourth thing, I'm sorry, the fourth thing. 
is I am seeing increasing evidence of courageous faith in my life. That I'm seeing the Lord stretch me. See, some of us are afraid of being stretched. Because some of us are afraid that if God stretches us, that we'll be like a rubber band and eventually he's going to pull too hard and we're going to break. And we're scared of that. But when I look in the scriptures, what I see is the ever merciful God that knows exactly how to stretch our faith and when to stretch our faith so that as he's stretching our faith, all of a sudden our faith is able to stretch ever so more than what it used to. And some of us have seen that in our life. We're like, man, I remember when my faith was so small and I took a step out and I obeyed the Lord and I applied God's word to my life in a certain area and God stretched my faith and my faith is ever so stronger. And then God in his graciousness and mercifulness, he allows us, he stretches our faith and then he allows our ourselves to grow even stronger so that we can be stretched even further. And God knows that he can stretch us, he's gonna stretch us to the point where it's not gonna break us, but it's gonna allow us to grow stronger so that our faith can be stretched even more. And don't we want that? Don't we want to say, man, I look at my life and I praise God, not in an obnoxious way, not in a braggadocious way, but as I look at my life, I praise God, I'm able to see increasing evidence of courageous faith. And that's not my work, that's the Holy Spirit's work in me. Here's the last one. The last indicator, it's found in verses 8 through 10. Would you read it with me? Look along as I read. It says, yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Regardless of the circumstances, my aim is to please the Lord, and to give him glory. Look at verse 10. Here's our motivation. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's the fifth indicator of how I know I'm moving from knowing to growing in my walk with Jesus. I am being compelled by the coming evaluation of my stewardship. Man, this is not taught enough. See, there's a term there that some of us are familiar with and others of us may not because I can't think of the last time I heard a message on this. And to be honest with you, I can't think of the last time I've even preached on this. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. It's not for unbelievers. It's for people who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's not a judgment in the sense that Jesus is giving the verdict on whether or not you're saved or not. That's not it. But what it is is it's an evaluation of how I managed and invested what God has given to me while I lived on this earth. It's why the New Testament refers to every follower of Jesus Christ over and over again as stewards. At our vision, my, at vision meeting, I gave the definition of a steward. What was the definition of a steward? An understanding that I own how much? Nothing. That I own nothing. That everything that I have is on lease from God, which means there's going to come a day where I'm going to have to turn it in. And this is what Paul is referring to. There's a judgment seat of Christ that is for all believers. And I'm going to give an account one day for how I used and stewarded 
everything that God has entrusted to me. I'm going to give an account for how I loved my wife. I'm going to give an account for how I stewarded my children and raised them up. I'm going to give an account for how I pastored this church and any other ministry I've ever been a part of. I'm going to give an account for the resources, financial resources that God has entrusted to me. I'm going to give an account for the talents that God has given me. I'm going to give an account for every single thing that God has graciously provided and given me, and so are you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 Paul talks about this evaluation again, and he says it this way. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So what he's saying in here, he's giving two ideas. He's saying... We're all going to give an account to God for one day for how we used what he's entrusted to us. And for some of us, our works and what we did with those things that God has entrusted to us is going to turn out as gold, silver, and precious stones. It's going to last. And then for others of us, it's going to be tested and it's going to burn up because all it was was wood, hay, and stubble. It was all for me. I spent it all on me. I lived all for me. I didn't focus on anybody else but me. That's the idea. And it says, verse 15, or verse 14, if the work that anyone built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though himself will be saved. That's why I said, this is for believers, this isn't for unbelievers, but only as through fire. That's a sobering thought. It's not meant to be something that motivates you to live for Jesus out of guilt, but it is something that ought to remind you that what we have is not our own. And I think in pictures. That's how I think. And though we don't know what this judgment seat's going to look like, I think of a big conveyor belt. I've always thought of it this way. And that as I stand before the Lord one day, all that stuff that he's given me, all the resources, whatever talents, whatever opportunities, I'm going to... They're all going to be led on that conveyor belt. And that conveyor belt's going to go through this furnace and thinking about, man, what comes out on the other side? Is it going to last? If it's for God, it's going to last. But how many things in my life have I lived for myself? Have I spent on myself? Have I wasted on myself? And some of those things are going to go through that flame and they're not going to last. We ask ourselves, I mean, God, I don't want a reward for myself, but we know in Revelation that we're casting all those things at Jesus' feet out of gratitude for what he's given for us. But man, as we go into this time of the life of our church and the opportunity that we be presented, so many of us are asking, man, what do I invest in? What do I give to that will last? Man, here's a perfect opportunity that lies before us to where we can give to something that will far outlast ourselves, something that will be used to save souls, something that will be used to restore marriages, something that will be used to train up the next generation of the church, something that will be used to send people out all over the known world and plant churches. I mean, this is an opportunity for us to invest Invest in something that will last through the flame. And that's why I say, man, I don't want myself to waste this opportunity. 
and I don't want you to waste this opportunity and I don't want us to waste our time or our talents or our treasures but man this is an opportunity that lies before us to be praying God how do you want me how do you want my family to invest in something that lasts because as we've already said out of the gate this is an opportunity for us not to grow in our understanding of God's glory in a greater way but to experience so much more spiritual growth in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want God to take me to the edge of myself. I want God to take me to new places that I've never been. And I, don't want, to be, and I want to be someone who just doesn't gain more knowledge, but applies it to my life so that I can grow more and more into the follower of Jesus Christ that God wants me to be.